Hello and welcome to episode two of Sound On. I'm your host, Adam Roof, and on today's episode, we're discussing housing. More specifically, rental housing, the difficulties of being a renter, the untapped resources available through local government, and the efforts being made by decision makers to improve the affordability, availability, and quality of rentals across the city. As always, we'll be looking at the issue through the lens of Burlington, Vermont, where I've served as a city councilor for the last five years. Like many young professionals here in town, my first apartment was when I moved off campus as a junior at the University of Vermont. I've always been and still am a renter here in Burlington, but until I got involved in government, I rarely thought much about housing issues. So when it came to my housing, most of my attention went to finding roommates that I got along with, a decent place that I could afford, and ideally a landlord that wasn't going to screw us over. I never really thought about things like vacancy rates or minimum housing standards or zoning regulations. So on this episode, we're going to talk with a few different folks so that we can begin to understand the complexities of the housing market here in Burlington. First, we're going to start by hearing from a junior at UVM who recently moved into her first rental apartment and did not have a great experience. Then we're going to talk to Bill Ward, the director of the city's permitting and inspections office and fellow city councilor Karen Paul about some work that we're doing at the city council level to improve the housing conditions here across the city. So first on the episode, we're joined by Lexi Wheeler, a junior at the University of Vermont, who, after her second year, moved off campus into a Burlington neighborhood and did not have a great experience. So Lexi, welcome to the episode and please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your experience. Okay, hey Adam, thanks for having me on the episode today. I am a junior at UVM. I lived there for two years on campus and then decided it was time to move off campus. I um, ended up subletting on South Union Street with a landlord, um, Soon Kwan. Come the beginning of June, I moved into my apartment all excited, finally getting to live on my own. It was the summer. I didn't have to live at home for the first time, and it was really exciting. I get there, move in, get upstairs, and I'm looking around the apartment. First thing you walk in, bathroom on the left-hand side in that door doesn't have running water in it because the sink doesn't just drip, it runs when the water's on. So we had to turn the water off. Walk in, get into our dining room area, and on the floor is a whole bunch of painting supplies and construction materials from what the landlord was supposed to use to update the apartment within the last year when he wasn't renting it out. None of the plates were on the light switches and the plugs. Everything was missing, all on the floor in a pile, just not in there. So I walk into my room. It was pretty small. I had a nice new window that he put in, but no pole in my closet to hang my clothes up. So I just threw all of my things in there on the floor and was kind of just like, okay, this is fine. The first night was okay, not a big deal. Next morning, though, I go out and look and realize the front door to our apartment we are not allowed to go out of. We have stairs that lead down. We're living on the third floor of our building, so you're supposed to have two exits. The door out to our front door, it's a hallway that you walk down, um, and there's a code for that door. Landlord hasn't given it to us yet. Soon Kwan just, he was like, yeah, I'll get, I haven't changed the code from the last tenants that lived there. So that was its own situation that we had to deal with. 
our second exit, which was off the back porch going downstairs, there was a half inch gap around the door that you could see outside, straight through the doorway. There was no seal on it whatsoever. Um, you opened the door and you could see that the door had been kicked in at some point because the latch really wasn't there at all. There was a chunk of wood missing. And you walk outside onto the porch that is literally falling off the back of the building. Just not secure at all. But it's fine, you know, this is renting in Burlington. That's what we thought. That's what everyone kept telling us. So we just let it happen. About my third day living there, woke up and walked out of my room looked across my living room into my roommate's room, and on the windowsill I see a bushy tail. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, huh, interesting. I don't, I don't remember that being there the day before. So I walk closer, and all of a sudden, a squirrel turns around and stares at me <laughs> inside my apartment. I'm panicked, <laughs> no idea what to do. Shut the door, put a blanket underneath it because there was a nice gap. <laughs> And was like, okay, we're just going to leave it there for now. <laughs> and this is where the memory, my, my memories kick in from, from your experience. Because I remember my phone ringing and getting yes. a call from you saying, Adam, what the hell do I do? There's a squirrel in my house. Please help. This is not what I was expecting when I moved in to a Burlington apartment. And I asked, well, wait, where are you living? And you told me where. And I know this property and this landlord well. And we can talk more about, about that soon, but I, me- I will always remember it was the more interesting, one of the more interesting constituent calls that I've, that I've gotten so far uh, as a city councilor, uh, having to deal, deal with pest control. Yeah, yeah. So Adam was trying to help me out, giving me a whole bunch of different numbers to call, trying to find someone. And you did end up getting in touch with a, a pest control company that said that they had a rate to come out, and then depending on how long they were there or what they had to clear out, so tell me what happened once you got a hold of your landlord, who not only now is responsible for getting the squirrel out of your apartment, but also covering the cost of the pest control. So we don't have an email or anything, so we call Soon Kwan, our landlord. He doesn't answer the phone. He never answers the phone. Usually we have to wait a week to get a, a call back from him. By the second day, Soon finally actually called us back after we called him like six times. And he told us, oh, it's fine. It'll go back out the way it came in. Don't worry about it. This is The a... problem being that it got in in the first place. So yeah. That's, yeah, that's, it it got in through a that. hole in our wall is, is the kicker there. There was a whole nest of gray squirrels living in our attic and a whole bunch of holes in the walls from doorknobs that he never closed up. And the squirrel managed to climb in through there. So you're reaching out to Soon. You're trying to get him to come visit the apartment to talk to you about these issues. How did that come together? We finally called him and got his email and asked him to come over to talk about the other problems we had noticed when we had first moved in. Mm-hmm. So he came over one afternoon and we're like, okay, like these are problems that we have. Like This door is not secure and we are four young college-age girls living in this apartment in downtown Burlington, and we have a door that anyone could easily come kick in, and you can see outside of it. And he goes, no, it meets minimum housing requirement. That's not my problem. I don't have to fix it. And we were like, what? We're like, there's no way this meets minimum housing requirement. Just to be clear, it does not meet minimum housing <laughs> requirements. We, we will talk to Bill Ward later on in the episode about 
that standard, and uh, I, I'm, I'm certain that that does not meet the, the minimum standard. Yeah, it had cardboard nailed into the wall in an attempt to close up the holes, which it did not, and duct tape across the top of the door frame to close up another hole there, and the rest of it was just wide open. So important point here, the city of Burlington does not agree that duct tape and cardboard <laughs> meet minimum housing standards. That is, that is shoddy work, and that's, that's a joke. What ha- now that you've sort of fully realized the situation where the housing is not what was promised, the landlord is dodgy at best, what do you do next? So luckily for myself, I knew Adam. And I knew that he was our city councilor because we were living in Ward 8. So I had reached out to you and I asked what my options were. And you had given me a couple of different resources to check out. We got code enforcement involved. They came in and found, I believe, somewhere between 10 and 15 code violations. And they wrote a full report, sent it over to him. And they were like, okay, we'll be back in a month to do a follow-up inspection. A month later, code enforcement comes back. They are looking at all of the things that they originally had found violations in, and none of them had been fixed, obviously. So at this point, we were like, okay, how do we get out of this situation? We reached out to Adam again, decided that we were not going to be paying rent to him because at this point, he was just not meeting any of the expectations that he was supposed to and had agreed to in the lease that had been signed. We decided to withhold our rent and start looking for a new apartment. So, Lexi, you're in a better situation now. You and your roommates did find new, better housing where you've been for the last couple of months. Looking back, what is it that you wish you knew going into this process? For me, I wish that I had known going into it what renters' rights actually were. Um, And I wish I had known what my resources were ahead of time. I hope for the city to help inform students on that, but I think that's something that needs to be worked on with the colleges around as well to make sure that they are also letting their students know what their rights are and what their resources are and what they need to be doing and looking for and checking for when they're touring apartments. Well, Lexi, thank you for coming by and sharing your story and thank you again and and we'll talk again soon. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Next, we're joined by Bill Ward, the director of the city's permitting and inspections department. Bill, welcome. Thank you for being on the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the department that you lead? Sure. Uh, I guess the first thing I should say is, as when I was a young man, I was in the military and I was in the Army in Washington, D.C. I was a military police officer. Led me to my career here as a Burlington police officer. I served the city of Burlington, Vermont for about 23 years, and I retired as the downtown lieutenant. And they were looking for a director of the code enforcement department at that time. And come January of 2020, that will be 10 years since I've been with that department. Most of what the department does is involved in health education, and the primary role through that is through the minimum housing inspections that we do. Bill, for a long time, the city had our code enforcement office, but we recently did a reorganization to include more under your purview and change the name of your department to the Permitting and Inspections Department. What other components are now encompassed under your department? 
we have another component that does zoning inspections, and that's now been encompassed in the permitting and inspections department. So the code enforcement division is what people typically know as code enforcement. That's where we do our minimum housing inspections. So let's dig into the code enforcement division, and let's focus on the services that you and your team provide specifically to renters. So the question I have is, what is the specific role of the Code Enforcement Division, and what are the services that it provides that folks don't typically know about? Essentially, there are a lot of units in the city. We have routine inspections that we have to do, and we typically do them about every three years. But we also do complaint inspections that sometimes folks don't know too much about it. The complaint inspections involve any of the things that we might look for in a minimum housing inspection, some of the basic Uh, requirements for minimum housing, and if a tenant's not satisfied with a fix that a landlord or a property manager has made, they can call our office and make a complaint. We'll send an inspector, sometimes it's me, and we'll go and find out what the condition is. If it violates the housing code, we take action by sending an order to the property owner to fix it and come back and inspect it for compliance. I want to get more into sort of the the inspections role of your department and how you interact with landlords to for the benefit of, of renters who are sending in those complaints many times. But before we do that, I want to get a little bit of a better sense of the scope and scale of what we're talking about when we're, when we're talking about the Burlington rental market. How many rental units are there in the city? What percentage of Burlington residents rent? And what are the most common issues that you see from the field? The city has about... 10,500 rental units. Uh, That number changes uh, these days almost daily with new units coming online, but that's a good approximation. The rental market itself is about 60% of the uh, properties are rentals, so it's a pretty good proportion of the city. And the other piece is the violations that we find. Uh, There seems to be three consistent issues. One is what's called heat tags. Another is smoke and CO detection issues. And the third is lead paint violations. Well, let's talk first about lead paint compliance because there are two different standards. The primary one is the state standard. Folks have to, if they're a property owner, file an annual EMP, Essential Maintenance Practice document with the state of Vermont. And that can be checked by anyone online. It's supposed to be filed annually. And so just quickly, if there's a renter listening here in Burlington and they suspect that there may be lead paint in or on their apartment, what do you recommend that they do? It's one thing if there is lead paint, because if the property is before 1978, if it was built before 1978, the presumption is there's lead paint present. You are not as likely to be exposed to that if there's a solid coat of new paint over anything that's there. So typically it's encapsulating what's already there. The other two issues that we deal with as a primary focus would be smoke and CO detection being deficient. It can be deficient in a number of different ways. The ones that tenants are responsible for is if the smoke and CO detector is there, they are responsible for keeping it in place. We are pretty good at making sure that folks, if they don't know about an ordinance, we do an education piece first. So we wouldn't walk in the first time and just write a ticket. We want to make sure people understand the law. But if we come back to the same apartment or if the landlord calls the following week and said they're all disconnected, what do I do? We could come back and issue tickets to the people who are there. And it's not because we like to issue tickets, but we don't want to be visiting an apartment after there's been a tragedy. And Bill, that third issue that you deal with quite a bit has to do with heating, right? 
The heating unit in rental units should be inspected every two years. And if uh, folks are Vermonters or have seen a Vermont vehicle, you see an inspection sticker on the windshield of a car that says that th that sticker is good for one year from the date it was inspected. Heating units, the inspections are good for two years. So there is a colored tag and it'll have the date that the heating system is valid until. So part of our inspection is to check to make sure that those heat tags are in place. Similar to the EMP compliance, I think because those are good for two years and we sometimes inspect on a three-year cycle, that landlords will have forgotten and it may be expired. One term that we use a lot while talking about rental housing in Burlington is the minimum housing standard. Can you define what that is and why it's important for renters to know about it? Well, it's an interesting term that it's called the minimum housing standard, and that's kind of what I use when people ask me, well, how can this be good enough? There's a reason they don't call it the maximum housing code, because it's the minimum. And sadly, it can be really low. It can be a low bar. Again, the good news is most of the properties in the city are well beyond that. That's why we're, there is this discussion of raising that bar. So it is a minimum standard, and that minimum should be highlighted for folks as they look at rental units. It doesn't mean that we would expect the best at that place. It just means it met a low threshold. Bill, we talked with Lexi Wheeler earlier in the episode who shared her story of signing a lease with a bad landlord and needing to break that lease. It was not the sort of experience we want to see here happening in Burlington, but it's a story that I know you and I have heard many times before. So I'd like to talk about sort of on the ground solutions for this sort of issue. And, and the way that I look at this is that we as a city government need to be working to support renters as they seek out housing and when they get caught up in these problematic situations while also developing and implementing practices to prevent these sorts of situations from happening in the first place. So let's start with the first part there. What resources are available for renters as they seek out housing and what can they do if they find themselves jammed up? Something that tenants may not know about but should be available to them um, whenever they want to see it is if they're walking through a rental unit, the certificate of compliance for rental housing should be posted somewhere on the property. The other thing that's always available to them is the city website. The city website for the city of Burlington has a property info tab where you can look up any property. You could type in an address. If it's a rental house, when you look at the permit history for it, there's a small box at the top of the webpage. The PDF pulls up a permit history that shows you the COC expiration. So what you're saying is every rental unit in the city of Burlington is required to have what's called a, a certificate of compliance and every tenant has the right to see that. It should be posted in the unit, but if it's not, you can easily do a search on the city website. Depending on where that certificate status is, that's, a, that's some sort of indicator what sort of landlord you may be getting into bed with. The challenge, I think, is it's such a tight rental market that sometimes students feel pressured to just take whatever's available. Yeah. That's my impression yeah. uh, because I know by looking at the units and talking with the, the students, they seem very smart and, in fact, too smart to rent some of the places that I actually see them in, in for rental units. And I have even asked at times, what what were you thinking yeah, if you, you, end, you end up here? these problems before? You could have called us you know, before you rented it, or sometimes they wait months before they call us for problems. And the answer is typically, 
there was nothing else available mm. or there was so few apartments available and it's close to where I, you know my classes so i just took it yeah well and that's fine i understand that but having people know the resources that the landlord should be taking care of it if a tenant requests the property be brought to the minimum housing standard and we're the safety net the code division can help out code enforcement can send an inspector and require the property owner to bring it up to the housing standard so for those who end up in a rental property that was not up to par, what resources are available to them and what do you recommend that they do? Sometimes we get questions from tenants about legal questions and we can't and shouldn't be giving legal advice to tenants. So we direct them to Vermont Tenants at CVOEO. They're a great resource. Vermont Tenants a great resource for tenants for those types of legal questions. What should I do legally with my landlord? Or Vermont Legal Aid is another great source for those types of questions. What we would typically do is document the findings, and we also recommend that tenants do the same thing. Those written communications clarify the potential miscommunication. One of the ones that I hear from tenants, similar to what you described, is that they were told when they signed the lease, everything would be fixed by the time that they moved in. A lot of times that's verbal. If there's something when they sign the lease that says, thank you, I'm happy to sign the lease today, and here's an email just documenting all of the issues I found with the leaky roof, with the, the tub that didn't have hot water, with those things will all be fixed before I move in on um, you know, August 15th. That's terrific. That's a great way to document it. That was the understanding. A lot of times down the road, the you know, property manager might say, I don't remember saying that at all. And if they did, they really should be held to that. And as far as documentation goes, what can your office do to support tenants to hold landlords accountable? The resource that we can offer is we start fresh and we put it in writing and we tell them that it has to be fixed within a specific period. Our deficiencies are required to be fixed within 30 days, but if it's serious, we can ask for it to be done just that day. And Bill, what are some examples of situations where you can require a landlord to make a fix on the same day? I mean, if we found a unit didn't have smoke and CO detection, we would basically say, if it's not done by 4.30 today, if it's not corrected, this place is unfit for human habitation. We can put a red card on the door and basically say the tenant shouldn't be sleeping here. One of my favorite things when, when I joined the council in 2015, I was getting oriented across different city departments and different department heads. One of the stats that stuck with me about your leadership was when you came on in 2010 to lead the code enforcement office, you learned quickly that there are only about 1,500 units being inspected each year, which was nowhere close to what was required to have on a three-year cycle every unit in Burlington inspected. And real quickly, you got that number up to meet that three-year standard. And now here we are in 2019 doing so much more. So, Bill, thank you for being on the podcast. Mostly thank you for the work that you do for the city of Burlington. Uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Next on the episode, we're joined by a fellow city councilor, Karen Paul, who represents Ward 6, an area of the south end of Burlington that is primarily residential, but also is inclusive of many rentals and is what we refer to as a near-campus neighborhood where many students are living. Karen, welcome to the pod. And before we dive in, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, 
how you found your way onto the city council, and a little bit about your areas of interest. Uh, sure. So I've been on the city council for 10, I guess, 11 years now, and grew up in Ward 6, went out, went to college, came back, decided to run for city council so that I could give back to a community that's been good to me, good to my family. You know, there's been a lot of things that I've focused on over the years. Uh, when I first was elected, I focused a lot on financial issues. But it wasn't long after I started on the city council that I got to understand that there's really nothing more important to people who live in Burlington than quality of life. And I think that is, you could say that about every ward of the city, uh, but particularly um, areas that are, you know, ev- heavily rental occupied. Karen, we spoke earlier to Lexi Wheeler about her challenges with moving into her first apartment and the difficulties she had with her landlord. So what's your take on this landlord-tenant dynamic and what are some of the things you've been doing to help address these sorts of issues? Renters, people who are tenants, come and go. They rent for a year and they leave and they move on and they go to another apartment. What doesn't change are landlords or what changes very rarely is landlords. And so I developed a system to call landlords every time there were noise complaints and other quality of life complaints. And what I found is that most landlords, probably 90% of them, care very deeply about their property. They rent responsibly and they want to be responsible neighbors and they want their tenants to be responsible neighbors. There are some for whom that's not necessarily the case. Those are the landlords that we have to work harder with. But it does work. I will say that Mm -hmm. in the very beginning, when I would call landlords on Mondays and Tuesdays, it was like half my day. Um, I had to fit it in in between all kinds of other things. And I probably was making 30, 40 calls every week after a weekend. Now we're down to very few calls, you know, five, three, four, sometimes none on a weekend. And so I think the word has gotten out that we are very serious about quality of life issues. So Karen, we had Bill Ward on the episode and we were talking a lot about some of the work he's doing to help with this uh, situation. Uh, But there's one thing that that you helped bring into fruition, which is this five-star rating system for properties, which is one way that we are holding landlords accountable through our inspections process. Can you share with me a little bit about the background of this system and how it's going to help tenants into the future? The five-star system just came as a result of me reading the paper one day and seeing the health ratings for all restaurants and trying to think how can we take that approach and bring that to rentals. With the idea being that there would be an unbiased way of rating properties, not necessarily landlords per se, but properties, um, so that it would be one tool that someone, say, moves to Burlington, a college student moves to Burlington, a way of them being able to find out how responsive a landlord was to minimum housing standards. Bill and I worked on this for probably about two years. He was able to develop a system, you know, initially I wanted it to be much more than five, but it came down to five. Then it took three years for every single property to go through that five-star rating system. Once we did that, which was just recently, there were two goals that I envisioned with this. One was that it would raise the bar, that the idea was not to shame people who got one star, 
but to hopefully be able to raise the bar so everybody would be five. That was really the idea. But the other thing was for it to be an opportunity for people who are renters to understand where their landlord, where their property falls in the one to five. What I see one of the great values of this renting system is, is that the better your score is, the longer you have to have to come back to the city and get a rating or get an inspection again. And one of the byproducts of that system is that the landlords who are getting lower ratings have to come back more often. So we're not saying that everyone must come back at the same time. We're saying come back on a more often rate, a more consistent rate, if your ratings are low. And for those who are better, we'll see in a few years. Until everyone is a five, um, and until we make the housing standards stronger, I don't think our work will ever really be done. People who rent have a right to know who they are renting from. And if you're renting from someone who's a one, you have a right to know that. And yes, will it put some pressure on people that are a one or a two? I hope so. Nobody should be living in a property that's a one or a two. But the other goal is to take all of the ratings and be able to put them into a tool, either a link on the website or some sort of an app so that a renter can literally look up a property by address and find out instantly what that property is. Minimum housing standards are way too minimum. We need to make them much more responsive. And we talk about 60% of the people who live in Burlington are renters. We need to be focusing more of our efforts on them. I'm in the same boat that you are. When I, when I graduated from college, I rented. Eventually I bought, but I was fortunate not to have challenging landlords. And I also was very fortunate that I had a lot more help. I had parents who were there to help me. And for a lot of people, that's just not the case. Landlord issues are really, really challenging. And what I saw, the other thing also, Adam, I'm sure you've seen this too, is when you go door to door and you're talking with people that rent, particularly college students, one of the most troubling things is the fear that tenants have with landlords. There's such a tight housing market here that even when there are problems in properties, oftentimes people live with things not being right, and they should not be doing that. And I think as city officials, we need to make those tools that are available to them, other than us, you and me, advocating for them, which we do, but other tools more available so that people understand what their rights are and are not afraid when something is not right in their apartment to speak up. So thank you, Karen, as well as Lexi and Bill for joining us in our conversation. On this episode, we covered a lot, but there is so much more related to housing that is important to this discussion. How to address housing affordability by stabilizing rents, decreasing the cost of building new homes, and increasing income, especially for young people in the working class, are essential to fostering a healthy housing market for our future. We also need to be thinking about how we are providing for those who are experiencing homelessness and those in need of transitional housing, such as those who are coming out of our criminal justice system. And we'll dive into some of these issues, but in future episodes. The goal of this episode has been to bring information forward to tenants about their rights, about common challenges with renting, as well as the resources that are available to them. So in support of this goal, we'll be releasing, along with this episode, 
information about tenant rights and those resources that we've talked about and some more on my Facebook page. Thanks and we'll see you next time. Sound On is recorded in the Champlain College Wave Radio Studio and is produced by Luke Marcheski.